direction. Come on. So we're going to wrap it up today. Anybody need divine direction? Right? Hello. Don't we all? <laughs> the one thing that the Lord will definitely do with his people is he will lead us. There is never an absence of leadership. There's never an absence of the word or a word to our lives. Where the, where the problem comes in is the absence is in our listening or the absence is in our frequency. We're tuned into the wrong things. We're not dialed into the right frequencies. We're not listening. People wonder if the Lord will lead. He'll lead every time. Even if you make a mess of things, this is how good He is. Even if you make a mess of things, He will meet you in the mess if you let Him, and He'll lead you out of the mess. Thank God. Right? <laughs> He's that good. You know, a lot of people think that they've gone too far, that God won't help them, but you don't know what I've done. I've blown the whole house up, dude. I've burned it down to the ground. I mean, it's been mad, or this has happened to me. I feel like God's against me. The Lord is never against you. He'll be angry with you no more. He is always for you. He's for you even when you're against you. You're against you more than anybody else in the world sometimes. You know, we're our own worst enemy. Right? We're defeatist. We're negative against ourselves. We're judgmental. We're harsh. We're unforgiving. You know, whatever it is we are. But God is always for you. Come on. Today we're going to talk about courage to start. The courage to begin into the directions that God is leading you. He is always leading you. And where it begins, and we talked a little bit about this last week and over the course of this series, courage begins with divine prompting. God prompts us. There's a prompting that happens within our heart. We're going to discuss this. What does that look like? It looks like a prophetic, I call them prophetic impulses. You know, something poking on you. You're believing God for something. This is also what happens too when we extend faith. We extend faith to the Lord. You know, uh, there's a gal here and she's been believing God for a new job. And she was telling me last night, we had ministry time during the night of worship, and uh, she said a guy sat down at her table, because she's a manager at a restaurant, and uh, basically told her about a job opportunity that he's looking to hire. And, and it's kind of like, she's like, well, is that the Lord? I'm like, uh, yeah. Oh, that's the Lord, you know, he's sitting down telling you, and so I just told her to pray about it and kind of look for the certain things that she was looking for, make sure that it matched up with what, you know, but overall, a lot of times they're called prophetic impulses. You're believing, Lord, I need you to use me more. I need you to use me more. I need you to just start using me more, and then all of a sudden, God will prevent, start presenting all of these ministry opportunities, or he'll begin to impulse you or drive at you into these directions. What we can't do is we can't question his leading. If you're asking him for something, and you should be asking him for something, he'll lead you. We're believing God to heal a lot of cancer at Elevate. And you know what happens when you say, Lord, we want to see cancer healed. What's going to happen? You're going to begin encountering people in all sorts of circles that have cancer. And then you go, well, I don't know, this guy's got cancer. Should I pray for him? Or this woman has cancer, so I don't know. Is that the Lord? Well, if you're asking the Lord for it, he's going to start presenting it. Well, I don't know, you know, that's how he works. It can be simple, it can be profound, the way the Lord leads you. It can be like, you can have a, a, a something on your heart, you need to call that person, you need to pray for that person, you need to go to this place. That's a leading of the Spirit. It's simple, it can be simple, it can be profound. The Lord can be leading you, you need to make a life change, you need to change this. There's some things in your life that need to get out of the way, this needs to change, you need to change this, you need to change that. You need to change locations. You need to change jobs. God could be burdening you with different things. So it can be simple. You need to change the world. 
I don't know how to do that, but you know, you can be feel like we could feel like I'm being led by God to make a difference. The the key is recognizing it. You can have a simple uh, there can be a simple acknowledgement. We're doing life groups here. Maybe you've never been a part of a life group. Maybe you've ever maybe the leading is to join a life group. Maybe the leading is to to just to help be a part of a life group. Maybe it's issues that you have to deal with. Maybe there's changes that need to be made. Maybe it may be a, a profound calling towards a better life, a better opportunity. Say this with me. Courage, Courage. is not, not the absence of fear. It is the absence of self. Absence of self. Yeah. We encourage that there, there's no fear involved. Fear is always there. Courage is the absence of self. So where you're not thinking about you, you're thinking about a person, a purpose, a place, a thing that's higher than you, and you move into it, and you're not really thinking of yourself. That's how that works. The promptings of the Lord begins with a dream, begins with a vision. You have a dream of a better life. You have a vision of a better life. You have a dream of something being different than it is, or something being better than it is. You have a dream or you have a vision that connects to the things that God wants. The promptings of the Spirit always begin with dreams and visions. It looks like this. Say it with me. What could be, what should be, and what must be. You know, we could have a better marriage. It starts there. Then you're like, we should have a better marriage. Then it goes, we must have a better marriage. That's how it works. Wow, we could change the world. We should change the world. We must change the world. It begins with the possibilities and it moves from could to should to must. When you're at must, you're at a motivating point. You're not motivated at could. You're not motivated at should. You're motivated at must. That's why God's got to literally bring us to the end of ourselves because we don't do anything unless we have to. You don't make the change unless there's no other options. That's the majority of people. You say, well, why does God bring me up here to where I have to make this change? Because you wouldn't make it without, in any other way. You're not going to make it it could. You're not going to make it it should. You're going to make it it must. It's what could be, what should be, what must be. Must is the motivator. If you don't have must, there is no motivation. It's when you have to, when you're driven. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah, I could, I could be better. Yeah, that could happen. You know what? I probably should be better. I, sh- I probably should be. Uh, you know what? I must be better. I must get better. You know, I could be, a, I could be you know, more of a son to my father. You know, I should be probably a better son before the Lord. And then it comes down to, no, I must be. You see how this works? So you've got to find and determine and whittle down to the levels of motivation within your heart. You're not motivated it could. You're not motivated it should. You're motivated it must. And it's the must that is the, that is the core essence of the, the, the prophetic impulse of the divine leading. When God is prompting, it is in the, the realm of must. Only when you find must, then it starts to happen. Next slide. Acts. So it begins with dreams and visions into what must be. Could, should, must. Right? You shouldn't be amazed that your dreams and visionaries. The believer has to be. You know what the believer must be? You must be a dreamer and a visionary. You must be. Why? Because the Bible says that it is exactly what you are. And we like read this stuff. I feel like we, a lot of times the church and Christians read this stuff like they're poems. Here's a poem for you. Let's just read the poetic verses from the book of Acts. Is this a poem or is this a promise? Is this an abstract or is this a reality? Well, I believe it's a promise, and I don't believe it's abstract. I believe it's reality. 
It shall come to pass in the last day, says the Lord, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. We shouldn't be shocked that people speak prophetically on, on you know, there's your prophetic ministry. We shouldn't be shocked. It says that. We shouldn't be shocked that there's dreams and visions. We shouldn't be shocked. And those are both spiritual and those are both directional. So God will give spiritual encounters of dreams, spiritual encounters of visions. That's what he does. Okay? Doesn't mean you discern it. Right? Doesn't mean your discernment is correct. God gives dreams and visions. The problem is, is where the Christian starts discerning it and tries to think that they can interpret it. The interpretation is usually where the confusion comes. It's never the reality of the dream or the reality of the vision. That's not never the call. It's not even the reality of the prophetic word. It's oftentimes the way we go about ministering the prophetic word that causes the problems. That's the problem. The problem is how we go about it. We're not lining it up with the Lord's heart. We just kind of wing it and do it the way we think. That's the problem. But you should be a dreamer and a visionary. And if you're not dreaming and you're not having visions and you're not even wanting them, you need to want them. And you need to go to the source who is the Holy Spirit and begin to ask Him for dreams and visions. And begin to ask Him, I'll give you one, prophetic encounters. You go, I don't even know what a prophetic encounter is. Well, that's great. Ask Him. Let Him show you. Let, you, let, let Him begin to minister to you and experience this. This is the reality of the Christian church. You understand that? This is, the re this is the life that we live. Dreamers, visionaries, prophetic encounters, calling what is not as though it was, seeing things from heaven's perspective. That's prophetic ministry. Prophetic ministry is seeing as the Lord sees. See, hear, and feel as God feels. See, hear, and feel as God says, or is, or, it, or, or is feeling. That's, how, that's prophetic ministry. Prophetic ministry is not running around finding dirt in people's lives. Oh, I just feel the Lord. You're in sin. I have a word for you, brother. I always tell people, it doesn't take a genius to find gold in a gold mine. Or dirt in a gold mine. The genius isn't finding dirt. The genius isn't finding gold. And as prophetic ministry, we are called to not find the dirt, but to extract the gold. To find truth in spite of a reality. To find hope in spite of darkness. And we call forth the life. And we call forth the the good, and we call forth the identity, that's prophetic ministry. Prophetic ministry is not running around. This is why churches are all under the wrong interpretation of it, and this is why it either, either it's non-existent or it's completely misapplied, and when it's misapplied, there's no power on it. There's no power on prophetic ministry. Most of the churches run around, and, oh, you know, oh, God sent the storm. Jesus didn't send the storm, ladies and gentlemen. He uses it. He doesn't send it. If you feel that way, your theology is wrong. That's an Old Testament theology. That is a, not a New Testament reality. Jesus is perfect theology. How many storms did he send? Zero. When his disciples wanted to call fire down, he said, no, you don't know what spirit you're of. He quotes Ezekiel, Old Testament prophet, saying, oh, they were in the partnership with Satan. No, they were quoting Old Testament reality, Old Testament theology. They were, called, they were speaking out of a voice that was Old Testament. And Jesus said, that spirit is no more. The spirit of the new is now. There's a shift in the prophetic ministry. We're not under an Old Testament mantle. We're under a New Testament grace. And so when we speak and operate prophetically from the spirit, it's from that world. Jesus is imparting grace. You say, well, what is God doing with the storm? Where's the storm coming from? Broken world, broken system. Sin activates negative realities. In case you didn't know. God's not sending anything. He's not. And if you do, you need to go back and do a Bible study, and you need to go back and do the Father Heart, you need to go back.
back and understand who God really is. If that's the way you're thinking, your thinking perspective is completely wrong. And it's affecting your relationship with the Lord, and it's affecting His relationship with you because your paradigm and your thinking is wrong. And until you get that straight, nothing's going to clear, nothing's going to open up for you. I never said the Lord doesn't use it, but I'm definitely telling you He's not sending it. And I have that on full authority. Jesus is perfect theology. Everything we know of the Father comes from Him. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So don't be saying the Father's anything like, unlike who Jesus said He is. Just saying. We've got to get our thinking straight. This is where pow power is inhibited within the church because of stinking thinking. Power is inhibited within the life of the believer because of stinking thinking. You think God has afflicted you with a disease. Who told you that? You think that God won't heal you. Who told you that? You think that God doesn't have a purpose for you. Who told you that? You think that God won't use you in spite of all of the failures and dysfunctions that you have. Who told you that? Who told you that? You're listening to lies that are being propagated by the devil and you yourself are partnering with those lies and you're inhibiting the power of the Spirit flowing in your life. Oh, I don't believe that. Well, you just keep right on your merry way because I'm going to tell you nothing's going to happen. You're double-minded in all your ways. Let that person believe that they will receive nothing from the Lord. What is double-mindedness? God says, I'm like this, and you go, no, he's like that. No, he's like that. You're double-minded. God says he's like this, and you're, you're disagreeing with it, and you're coming into another mind. You're in a mindset that's not of the kingdom, therefore power doesn't operate with you. Just saying, oh, no, no, it couldn't be me. Here's the Christian. Couldn't possibly be me. It must be you, Kevin, or it must be Jesus, or it must be everything else around me, but it couldn't possibly be the way that I think. It couldn't possibly be my problem. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Just saying. We're still friends, right? All right. I'm trying to bring you to a place to understand what this stuff, what, what's going on here. I'm trying to bring you to a place. If God says it, and there's no dreams and there's no visions in your world, then there's a reason. And that reason isn't the Lord. God isn't keeping anything from you. The problem's with you. The problem begins when you begin to say, Lord, what is my major malfunction? What is wrong with me? We're under this paradigm that once we get saved, everything is corrected in our life. Who told you that? Being born again doesn't mean everything's right. I mean, look at the Christians, right? More Christians have been hurt by Christians than anybody else. So you can't tell me that we're born again and everything's made right. That's not true either. You're made right spiritually, but there's a whole other arena of dysfunction. Don't ask me why I'm going off on this, but I, this was not part of the message, but I'm just going down the river that God has opened up. Dream, say this with me. Dreams and visions are part of my divine heritage. We are to dream dreams and see visions. Do you have a God-sized dream? Do you have a heaven-inspired dream? Question, Christian. If not, why not? It's for all of you. God said, your sons and your daughters, your maidservants and your manservants, those who are near and those who are far. He can't get any more inclusive than that. That means everybody. And so if we're not having God-sized dreams and God-sized visions, and we're not having prophetic encounters and walking in the Spirit and understanding how He sees things and feels, then the pro there's a problem with us because this is what Jesus died to give you. He died and shed His blood not just to save you, but to bring you back into rightful standing and rightful position and kingdom alignment. Salvation is merely the entry point into the divine encounter of the kingdom, the kingdom power and the kingdom purposes operating in your life. If you don't have dreams and visions and you're not having this, then you need to ask the question, why am I not? Why am I not? And then you need to begin to ask the Lord, show me these things. You said this was mine by promise. And you keep knocking and you keep pressing and you keep pulling and you keep doing what you need to do until it comes. 
Pursue truth until truth becomes the reality. Here's Nehemiah. Nehemiah gets a divine prompting. Nehemiah ends up going back and doing something that was way over his head. Way over his head. Nehemiah is serving in the king's palace. He's in Babylon. The children of Israel had disobeyed the Lord. And because of their disobedience, they had, the Lord had brought them out of their land. They had honored something before God. And so the Lord says, okay, well, I'm going to put you guys in a timeout. And you're going to be in a timeout for about 70 years. And then I'm going to let, some, then I'm going to let you come return to the land. Nehemiah serving this king on, into which the Lord has sent his people. The king has allowed certain parts of the people to go back, but the people that went back weren't doing anything. Sound familiar? The people who were mandated to do certain things weren't doing anything. And so Nehemiah heard the report saying, listen, the people there are suffering. They don't have leadership. They don't have direction. They don't have purpose. He says he heard this. And he sat down and he wept for many days. So he hears the report. He says, hey, how are all the people doing that God sent back or that went back to build the, rebuild the city and build the temple? How are they doing? And he said, they're not doing too good. Nehemiah's like, really? And he felt the Lord's heart. See, prophetic encounter. He was impacted and moved by what he heard. Oh, that wasn't the Lord. Of course it was. It was the Lord. And he sat down and he wept for many days. It bothered him. And then he, what did he do? He fasted and he prayed to the God of heaven. So he didn't just kind of go, wow. All right, what do you guys want on your pizza? Pepperoni? You know, uh, anchovies? Would you guys, you know, how do you, how do you, you he, he didn't just move on with his life. When he felt the impact of what was spoken to him and he was moved in his heart by it, he went to the Lord. And what is he doing? He's not just praying for the situation, he's fasting because he wants clear, divine direction. He's not assuming that he doesn't have a role to play in this. He knows, okay, this has been put to me. I'm feeling it in my spirit. So therefore, in whatever way, I'm not sure I have a role to play in this. When you're prompted by the Lord, you have a role to play. When God moves you and does something in your heart, there's a role to play. You may not know what that role, what that role is. That's not the issue. The issue isn't whether or not you know what the role is. First issue is recognizing that God's prompting you. Then he fasts and prays so that he can get clear on what the Lord asks. And he said, Lord, you're great and awesome. You keep your covenant. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open. Hear my prayer. He lines himself up, declares the Lord, honors the name of the Lord, gates with thanksgiving, courts with praise, goes before the Lord, positions himself. Day and night, the children of Israel, your servants, he began to confess the sins of his ancestors. That's a unique thing in this prayer. And he begins to tell the Lord, we've acted corruptly. We've not obeyed your ordinances that you have given forth. Next slide. He recognized the divine prompting. The divine prompting is both spiritual and natural. Okay? So here it is. Samuel had a divine prompting. If you know the story of, the, of Samuel, Samuel heard the Lord. Spiritual encounter, divine prompting. Samuel, Samuel. Goes back to bed. Hey, is anybody calling me? No, go back to bed. Samuel, Samuel. He had a divine encounter spiritually, and he was prompted spiritually. Nehemiah was prompted naturally. It was a natural thing that he heard, and it moved him spiritually. You understand? So the divine encounter doesn't mean that Jesus comes, comes in a holy visitation, shows up in your room, and sits down in a rocking chair, and begins to lay your life out for you. The divine prompting may be something that is set before you or something that will put it personal, something that you see in your own life, something that you see in your own world, and you go, this has got to change. This is not where I'm at. This is not where I want to be. This isn't either. It could be an interpersonal thing. It could be a relational thing. It could be a, a global thing. 
It can work on any of those levels. It can be something that you just see, a natural prompting that moves you into the Spirit and that you realize something's got to change here. Or maybe you hear an audible voice or you have a divine encounter. The Lord shows up. Has a, you know, you're hearing the Lord or the Lord begins to deal with you and He's dealing with you in the Spirit. Either way, both of those are validated by Scripture. What he saw, what, what Nehemiah saw, was life was not lining up with the divine purpose. This is the key. On earth as it is in heaven. That's the key. Is life lining up with the divine purpose? Is this what heaven looks like? Is this heaven's vision over my life? Am I in line with what God would want from me? Or the purposes in my, is, is that what's going on? And what Nehemiah saw was this, this idea that we're not building God's house, this idea that we're not restoring our purposes back into the world is not heaven's design. That's what moved him. Nehemiah heard, he fasted and prayed for increased direction and vision. He acknowledged God and His purposes. He aligned, and he dealt with generational problems. You know what he said? Here it is. The problem's not yours, Lord. The problem's ours. He said, me, even though there's no record of Nehemiah having done anything, right? Daniel did the same thing. And there's no record of Daniel having done anything either. Yet both Daniel and Nehemiah repent of their own life, and they repent over the sins of all who came before them. We have been weak, Lord when you have called us to be strong in you. We have thought wrongly, Lord. We have had wrong paradigms of you. We have thought about you wrongly. We have denied your name. We have denied your purposes. We have denied your power. They took accountability for the position they were in. You understand? They didn't blame Jesus. Oh, Lord, if you hadn't kicked us to Babylon, you know, all these people around me hadn't put me in this position. They said, no, wait a second. If there's a problem, it's on my side. You said this, there's a problem. So it's like, even if you don't know the problem, the problem is, what? listen, repent, say this with me, repentance is a good thing. What is repentance? I'm going to give it to you, right? I love the Bible. The Bible just blows my mind every time. There's no, I read a lot of books, and I don't care what you read. There is nothing like the Bible. Nothing. I mean, it, it is so clear and to the point. And even when you're just reading something, a story, there's so much insight into the story itself. Repentance is an issue that we shouldn't be unclear on. In the Hebrew, it is the Hebrew word teshuva. Everybody say it with me. You want to speak Hebrew? Come on, have, have it with me. Teshuva. There you go. You got some Hebrew. Get your Hebrew on this morning. And it means return. That's what it means. Repent, we get this idea that repent is deny, 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 confess, 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 confess. Repentance at the root, which is the Hebrew, Jesus spoke Hebrew, okay, Aramaic Hebrew. He didn't speak Greek, although we translated the Greek later, he spoke Hebrew. So when Jesus was saying repent for the kingdom of God is near, he used the word teshuva. Teshuva means return. What does it mean? Return to me because the kingdom is now. What repentance is, is we're taking areas of our life things that we've taken unto ourselves, wrongs that we have committed, things that we have broken, or our own brokenness, and we are what? Returning it to the Lord. Huh? Lord, I'm a failure. I return my failures to you. I repent of my failures. It's not like, oh, Lord, I've just done so much wrong. I'm such a pathetic person. Woe is me. I'm a man. I'm a worm, no longer a man. Wrong idea of repentance. Repentance is to return, to give it back. Metanoia in the Greek is to change the way you see. So we have two ideas of repentance. We have the word teshuva, return, and now God says after you've returned it, I want you to see things differently. 
The Greek word metanoia, it's where actually where we get the word penthouse. You know the word penthouse, like the big tall, the big windowed building at the top of the building where you can see everything? It's rooted in the same place where we get the word in Greek for repentance. It means rise up and see things differently. So God is saying, after you've returned this to me, now I want you to see life differently. That's where Jesus says, go and sin no more. Now that you've returned this to me, I want you to see the world differently. I want you to see your life differently. I want you to see everything different. That's the essence of repentance. And we wonder, there's, say this with me, there's power in repentance. The release of power comes with understanding. If we do not understand these things, we cannot activate and release these things properly. And we've taught a paradigm that repentance is just, the more you cry is the more repentant you are. And if we don't see tears coming out of your eyes, you're not repentant. Says who? It, what it is is it's an exchange. Just like salvation is giving away your being. I was talking to a girl on the beach. She said, oh, I've already prayed the prayer. I said, it's not a prayer. It's the release of your being. You're surrendering your being to him, returning your life to him. He gave it to you. You're giving it back. You walked away. He's bringing, you're giving it back returning. And she says to me, I'm not ready to do that. Well, she's ready to pray a pair, but she's not ready to release her being. Two different worlds. Completely different. People can confess Christ, but they're not converted. Converted comes when you release your being. All that I am for all that you are. That's what it looks like. He dealt with generational problems. He dealt with issues that were in his past. He began to say, Lord, we have done wrong. Thinking's been wrong. Actions have been wrong. We're off here. We're in this place because of that. So I want you to know I'm giving that back to you. I'm returning it to you, and I want to see things differently, and I want to receive a fresh vision. I want to receive a fresh dream, and I want to go forth from a new reality. God's been, listen, I, I practice this stuff, okay? I'm not an observer. I'm a practitioner of this gospel, right? Because I want power. I want to see the reality of truth. So I ask the Lord all the time things. Ask him. I'll just, I'm going to put myself out there vulnerable. Y'all can judge me, because that's what religious people do, is we tend to judge each other. But the real people are going to understand what it is that I'm saying. You know? Usually when I put myself out there, somebody's like, oh, that poor pastor. Look at that poor pastor. Really? Poor pastor? Do we need to talk about specks and planks? Because I'm putting myself out there to give you an example of something. So I'm asking the Lord this. I'm asking the Lord, what do you want from me? What is the barriers? Where, what? I ask him these questions all the time. If I'm in the way, then show me where I'm in the way. If there's a problem with me or any issue with me that you're wanting out of my life, then you tell me. Do you do that? I do it all the time, constantly. I do deliverance and inner healing on repentance. Whatever he asks me for, I give him. And he asked me to, give, to repent for weakness, spiritual weakness when I was younger. It's something related to weakness, you know? I don't exactly know. I just felt like it was a, he was asking me to return weakness to him, right? All of my weaknesses or the weaknesses that I had carried to myself, whatever it was. And I kept seeing, I'm like, where? And I felt like he was showing me when I was younger. So you know what I did? I repented of the spirit of weakness and I renounced it. And I said, everything, every time I've ever been weak, Lord, when I was supposed to be strong, I return it to you. Every time I've ever been failed, when you've called me to be, to be powerful, I return it to you. I take no more of these things unto myself. I give it back to you. And I receive fresh strength, fresh power, and I break bonds and ties and covenants with weakness. Because I cannot move forward, you cannot move forward, until you repent and renounce of some things that you're carrying. And I'm not talking about smoking, drinking, and chewing, Christian. And hanging, I'm not talking about going to the clubs, oons, oons. 
That's how we perceive it. Most of the problems within the church are the sins of unbelief. That's what they are. Where, have you, where has God told you and you have failed? Where, where are the things that have happened in your life that you have not stepped into what God has told you? Where are the areas in your life that you're not in alignment? You have to return it to him. You've heard people. You say, I've, I've, I've already apologized for that. But yeah, have you returned to the Lord your anger? Have you returned to the Lord your bitterness? Have you returned to the Lord your frustration? You're not supposed to carry that stuff. And you can't get rid of it until you return it. You can't move forward until you return. I'm talking about a spiritual dynamic here that very few people understand. This is how you move forward. You can stay the same. You can stay just as you are. Jesus doesn't work harder than you. You like where you're at, you'll stay there the rest of your life. Here we go around the mountain. Israel wandered for 40 years. The Lord did not labor to change them because they did not want to change. So if you think Jesus is going to do it for you, again, your theology is completely wrong. Your paradigm about the Lord is completely wrong. You don't understand how he works. Huh? He told Moses, Israel knows my, way. Israel knows my ways, but you know my methods. They see the way that I do things. They see my ways, but you understand what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. And you know what I want? I don't want to just see God doing things. I want to know what he's doing and why he's doing it. You know what that takes? That takes a heart that is willing to press into his heart and is willing to receive from him even the hard things that he says. Even the hard things. We all sit like very, like, oh, pastor's repenting. Oh, there's weakness. Oh, I could have told you that. I've seen weakness in your life many times, pastor. I've seen weakness all around you. Really? Really? He's asking me for it, and I'm giving it. What is he asking you for? What are you too afraid to ask him? What are you wanting from me, Lord? Where are the areas of my life that I've taken things unto myself? Where are the areas of my life that I have owned, that I hold dominion over, that I've not surrendered? Where are all the things in my life that I've made excuses and I've made justification for? Because we don't understand repentance. And so we operate with the devil and we get into guilt and shame. There is no shame in love, believer. There's no shame. I am perfectly loved. He's not going to reject me, ever. He cannot reject me. He will not reject me. I know that I am perfectly loved and I'm accepted in the beloved. So I know no matter what I give him, he's not going to reject me. <laughs> he's reject me. What he's trying to do is help me. What he's trying to do is elevate me. But until I take the, get to the point where I'm willing to receive that and I'm willing to give it to him what it is that I carry, your fear, your weak, whatever, whatever it is. And we all have it. We all have it. And you know, I can't lead you into that until it starts with me. This is where pastors fail immensely in leading the church. They cannot lead the people where they have not been. And so if the pastor doesn't journey into the Spirit, the people aren't going anywhere. Wishful thinking, Christian. If the pastor doesn't journey through hardship, he's not leading the people through hardship. If the pastor doesn't have to journey through areas where God is dealing with him on his weaknesses and his things that got to change, the people aren't going to change. And all we end up is a rhetorical environment where we're just teaching Scripture and practical principles with impractical applications that have no reality in the Spirit. I don't know who this is for. This is for somebody. I don't know. This is nothing what I was thinking about this morning. <laughs> when I was meditating on where he wanted to go with this. Next slide. Nehemiah said, I had never seen, I'd never been sad in the king's presence. So Nehemiah comes before the king, right? So he feels prompted. He feels burdened. He goes forward. He prays. He fasts. The Lord gives him a vision. So clearly, going before the king was part of that vision. How do you know that? Because he just told us in the last chapter that he fasted and prayed. 
So the Lord probably gave him a word. He had a vision. He had a prophetic thing where God said, listen, this is what I want, Nehemiah. I want you to go to the king and I want you to go to Jerusalem. That's probably the word that he got. We can assume that based on chapter 1. We can assume that based upon that's the way the Lord is. And Nehemiah probably wouldn't be doing this had he not been told by the Lord. And so he's going before the Lord and the king says, why is your face sad? Why are you not sick? There is nothing but sorrow. I see nothing but sorrow in your heart. It's like he's looking at Nehemiah and he's like, what are you, what, what's wrong with you? This king, okay, the Babylonian kings and the Persian kings, you know, the only people that were allowed to be around them were really good looking and happy people. So if you were not really, 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 really good looking, you were not allowed to be in the king's presence. If you were not shiny, happy people all the time, you were not allowed to be in the king's presence. You had to be really good looking, You'd be dazzled. You probably wore like designer threads at all times. So Nehemiah is wearing silk. More than likely, he's got gold. He's got rings. He's got the bling. He probably lives in a beautiful house because if you served the king and you represented the king, you wanted, he wanted his servants to look like, they, like, like him. And so Nehemiah's got it easy right now. He's got it easy. He's about to leave comfort and go into the unknown. And I've asked myself, would I be willing to do that? If I'm walking around with silk Armani and mohair suits and I got, you know, gold dripping off me and I got the whatever looking over the water and I got everything out there and everything and anything I want whenever I want it, the best food, the best everything, would I do what Nehemiah's about to do? He's going to leave it all. He's about to leave everything and he's going to go camp in the wilderness. He's going to go and live in a city where everything's burned down and doesn't have any walls around it. He's going to travel through the desert for 90 days. Would you get on a donkey? Would you leave paradise? Would you leave the silk, the fineries, your soft bed, and go sleep on rocks? Would you do that? That's what he's about to do. And he says, and he, so the king asks him, what do you want, Nehemiah? I noticed there's something wrong with you. Everybody read that? I became dreadfully afraid. King James says, I was sorely afraid. I was telling my wife that this morning. That really stood out to me when I was reading that. It's like he's saying, I hurt. I'm afraid so bad that it hurts. Anybody ever feel that way? You're so afraid it hurts. That's what he's saying. He's about to do something he doesn't want to do. He's about to do something he's not too sure about. He's about to follow a divine prompting and he's afraid. And here, let's blow up another Christian paradigm. We think that we're supposed to be fearless at all times. Who told you that? Who told you that? You can have faith and still be afraid. I can give you Jesus in the garden. He had faith, but he was still afraid. Wasn't afraid of the wrath of man. He was, he was fearing the cup that he was about to drink. The wrath of the Father coming on him. That was what he was afraid of. So when people say, well, we shouldn't be afraid of hell. God's just a loving God. Really? Jesus knew all about the wrath of the Father. And he dreadfully want, and he was shaking. And he's God himself. And he's afraid of the, of the own wrath. So you don't think there's a day of judgment and a day of wrath? Read your Bible. He's woefully afraid. So he's moving in faith, but he's afraid at the same time. You Say that with me. You can be, you can be in faith, faith and still be, afraid. still be afraid. If God has told me to do it, I can do it afraid. You can do it scared. doesn't matter. Just do it. That's the issue. So he offered it to the Lord. He asked for favor. He was afraid, but he took the step. Say this with me. When God gives a vision and God gives a dream, it is going to be bigger than me. It is going to have many questions unanswered. Most people, it is the start that stops them. 
They get the vision. They get the vision. They get the dream. They get the purpose. But it's the start that stops them. They're overwhelmed. Wow, this is like way bigger than me. Well, if it isn't bigger than you, it's not Jesus, right? They get overwhelmed by the work. Wow, this is going to be a lot of work. It doesn't sound like Jesus to me. Jesus shows up wearing work clothes, in case you didn't know that. He doesn't do it for you. It's a divine partnership. Everything the Lord does is with work. And we, again, have this false idea within the church. This is why, again, the gospel doesn't move. is because we think that everything doesn't have work attached to it. Man from the beginning was designed to labor. Labor with the Lord. Labor into the environment in which God placed him. Right? We say, well, it's grace and ease. Well, we have spiritual grace and ease. We have divine partnership. But when the Lord's going to do something, it requires work. We get overwhelmed. We think, oh, this is impossible. Okay. We get overwhelmed. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be really hard. Really hard. Well, it probably will be really hard. It's going to be extremely hard. You get fearful of your inadequacies. Well, I don't feel like I'm up to the task. I don't feel like I have the knowledge. I don't feel like I have this. Whatever you lack, go and get. And if that's still not enough, his strength is perfected in your weakness. That is not an excuse. Inadequacy is never an excuse to not follow the Lord or obey the Lord. Fear. I'm afraid. What if everything falls apart? I'm going to push all my chips in. What if everything goes wrong? What if, what if it goes right? It's probably there's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to go wrong. I watch this documentary. I like to watch documentaries on very successful people, or I like to read biographies on people who are very successful. And you know what you read? You read that they're no different than you. They just did things differently than you do. And I was watching Steven Spielberg, and you all know Jurassic Park, right? You guys know Jurassic Park? They said the guy bet his entire company on that CGI, on that computer-generated images. He pushed, they said he literally pushed all his chips in. This could have been an epic failure. And nobody knew where it was going. Nobody knew if what they were partnering with was going to succeed or fail. But it literally changed the movie business as we know it. Now almost every movie is made with CGI, computer-generated images. But no movie up until that point, Jurassic Park. And that guy bet his whole company on it. You see what it takes? You've got to push all your chips in. That's not easy. We want certainties. There's uncertain certainty. That I can tell you. Certain uncertainty. I'm telling you, God's asking me to do big things that are way over my head. He's asking me to step out. He's asking me to bring this church into a place and bring us forward into things that are way beyond me. And there's a lot of uncertainty. And I'm like Nehemiah. I'm freaked out. But yet I know the Lord has spoken. And I know this is the direction. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to move with Jesus. And you're going to stay the same. You won't change. But what you need to know is it's not God's heart for you to stay the same. God is not leaving you where you are. You're leaving yourself there. That's important to understand. We get afraid. We release within the heart. We offer it back. So God gives a dream and a vision. He releases it within the heart. And we offer it back. It's the same thing. It's why we do child dedication. It's, the whole, it's a spiritual principle of birthing. God, something is put inside the woman. It's a gift from the Lord. The, Lord the, the woman is given the gift. And then we do a dedication where the, the child is given back. It's almost like a prophetic image of what we are to do. When God births something in you, He puts something inside of you. In your heart, in your being. And, he, and we are to offer that back to Him. And when we offer it back to Him, He shows us the next steps. He'll show you the next step. He might not only show you one or two steps. He's not going to show you. He'll show you the end from the beginning, but he's not going to show you how you're going to get there. 
And that, again, is where we trip up. We want God to show us everything. I want to see the whole plan mapped out, and then I'm going to decide whether or not I'm going to do this. We are not going to do it. You know why God doesn't show you the whole plan? I told you last week. Because in that plan, there's going to be, say it with me, ready? I want to hear this, personal sacrifice. That's right. Say this with me. There's going to be pain in the offering. And if he showed you the pain that was involved in the offering, you wouldn't do it. If he showed you the personal sacrifice that was going to be required to get there, you wouldn't do it. Because the fear of failure is always greater than the desire for, for gain. And our desire for comfort is always greater than our desire to go through pain. And so if he shows you, Kevin, this is going to be a painful experience. You're going to be abandoned. You're going to be alone. You're going to have to make incredible sacrifices. This is where it's going to be. This is what it's going to take. If he showed you all that, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. But when you follow the Lord enough, you know this is part of the process. So you get smart. You're like, wait a minute, I know this is... He's telling me to do that. Well, I know he's led me before, and this is all the stuff that's been involved. So I know this is going to be part of the process. That's why he doesn't show you. When God releases something in your heart, you should be believing him for it. Do anybody here want the kingdom? Anybody? Because this is what I'm speaking to you from. I'm speaking to you from the kingdom, right? My heart for this church is that we be different than any church in the world. We're different than... There may be a few people like us or a few churches like us, but it's not about everyday Christianity. It's not about that. If you want everyday Christianity, there are tons of churches that are doing it. If you get uncomfortable with the Word of God, you know, I was just talking to Marcus before church, there's lots of churches out there that have skinny jeans and smoke machines, but don't have any substance behind, the, behind it. You can find that anywhere. You can find that anywhere. But God brings kingdom. God brings change. God is laboring to bring reality to the faith that he he shed his blood to give it, and that's my heart. I've told the Lord, if you paid for it, I need to know what it is. And then I need to know how to make this stuff work. And that's how we treat it. We treat this stuff like it's poems. And I'm like, wait a minute, you gave your blood for that? You paid for that so that we could have it? Well, then we need to have it. And we need to keep pushing into this until we own it. Until it becomes our world. Until it becomes our reality. So we offer back to the Lord. He gives you the next step. I've got to hurry. Next slide. You don't need the courage to finish. Say this with me. I don't need the courage to finish. Here we go. I only need the courage to start. You don't need to have the courage to get all the way across the finish line. You just need to get the courage to get in the blocks, and then you need to get the courage to take the next step, and the step after that, and the step after that. How do you do something big? Everybody say it with me. Start small. Right. Start small. Big comes from smallness. Mustard seed, big tree. You get the point. Check. I don't know where that came from. Check. Spell check. It's supposed to be Zachariah, but I guess my computer thought I was trying to say Czechoslovakia. So, <laughs> Czechoslovakia, chapter 4, verse 10. Zachariah, do not despise these small beginnings. Say this with me. The Lord, the Lord rejoices, rejoices to, see to see the work, the work begin. begin. He's telling us two things. Number one, don't get mad if everything's small when you start out. God's happy to see you just start. We should get a few amens off that. You know, he just says, hey, that's awesome. It's like a child taking steps, right? Baby can't walk. Baby starts taking steps. Stagger to the right. Stagger to the left. You're like, oh, my gosh, he's walking. He's taking steps. That's how it is. That's how the Lord is. He gives you a vision. He gives you a purpose. He gives you identity, and you start taking a step. You start walking, even if you're staggering. You're falling down. He's just, he's like, look, he's walking. Everybody look, he's stepping. She's stepping. Check it out. Keep taking next steps. Y'all seen the Rogue One? 
Anybody? I'm doing a lot of movie references here today. Don't ask me why. Rogue One, in the movie Rogue One, she's, she's the girl's leading them into an expedition. One of the best Star Wars movies I've seen, by the way. Anyway, she's leading them into an expedition, and she said, they're all freaked out. They're not sure where this is going. She said, we're going to start taking chances. I'm going to paraphrase it. I may not get it right. So some of you Star Wars like junkies out there are going to correct me on what it was actually said. But this is the sum of what she said. She said, we're going to keep taking chances. We're going to take a chance. And then we're going to move on to the next chance. And we're going to move on to the next chance. We're going to move on to the next chance until we either reach the goal or we run out of chances. That's gospel. That's how kingdom works. We take a step, and then we take the next step, and we take the next step until we either reach the goal or we run out of steps. That's how it works. Nehemiah was rocked and ridiculed. You're going to be opposed. You have to push against and move past. Move against your fear. Fear only moves when you move against it. Fear will not move unless you move against it. You must move against the things that you're afraid of or fear's not moving. And I'm not going to go into that. But anyway, next slide because i got to go. You do what is necessary. You do what is possible. And that's how you achieve the impossible. It comes back to the must. What must happen? What is the Father's heart regarding this matter? You can look at it. Look, God, here's how this is spiritual growth. You grow from recognizing things in your own life. Then as you begin to grow in, in recognizing these things need to change in my own life, then you start thinking from heaven, what does God want? What does He want? What does the Lord want from me? And then you start walking in that, and that becomes the rhythm and the pattern of your life. Once you get, most Christians don't even get that one right. And that's why we can't get anything else right. Because we don't start walking in the things that He wants in our own lives, and that leads to the world, and then that leads to the, to the, to the greater aspect of it. And you begin to do what's necessary. What must change? This is necessary. This has to change. Then you do what you can do. Do what is possible. And you start doing the possible, and the possible leads into the impossible. And then you don't quit. Let us not grow weary in our well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. Say this with me. Nothing is immediate, but everything is inevitable. We, it is inevitable. You will win if you don't quit. You will succeed if you don't quit. But in order to not quit, you've got to start. And you've got to have the courage to start. So here it is. Recognize the prompting offered to the Lord. Have the courage to start and be tenacious in changing. What I want for you is begin to believe God for dreams and visions. Begin to believe God. What is He speaking to you and over you in your current situation, circumstance, whatever? And I'm going to take it one step further. Ask Him what He needs, what He wants out of your own life. Ask Him what He's calling for from you. Where does He want repentance? Where does he want attitude change? Where does he want submission? Because that is the greatest inhibitor to what he wants to do. And you've got to release that. Not my will, but your will. We feel so justified in our feelings sometimes, don't we? Huh? I have the right to be mad. You don't have the right to anything. You've surrendered your rights, but I feel like I have the right. Yeah, you have the right, but now that right needs to go back to the Lord. And that right, I surrender this to you. I have the right to not talk to you. Who told you that? Your Bible doesn't say that. I have the right to vengeance. Your Bible doesn't say that either. Our lives are not our own. They belong to Christ. And so when we take these things unto ourselves, they become inhibitors to what it is that God is wanting to do. Happens in marriages. I have the right to not talk to her. I have the right to not talk to him. Right? Happens in churches. I don't like the pastor. I don't like what he is. I don't like what he says. I don't like what he does. I don't like that person. I don't like this person. I don't like that person. I have the right to feel the way that I feel. You don't have the right to do anything. You have the right to do good to those who do evil to you. You have the right to serve and be honoring to those that are around you. That's our, you, you have the right to change, 
but you don't have the right to hold things. What, you, what you're doing, you're thinking you're hurting the person when in fact you're hurting yourself. What is he asking you for? What is he asking you for? When we, when we, oh, I can't get into this. Uh, <laughs> what? When you step into things, you give the enemy a right of access into your life. When you own things unto yourself, you give, he or giving him a right of ownership because you're partnering with him. And you're not supposed to partner with him, you're supposed to partner with Jesus. And the way that we get rid of things is we return them to the Lord and we receive back from God. If you've got bitterness and anger in your heart, you need to give it to Jesus. Not just in some stoic way, but you need to release all of it to him. And you need to receive back from him a spirit of forgiveness, a spirit of kindness, a spirit of mercy, a spirit of servitude. If there have been some things in your life that you've done wrong and you've partnered with guilt and shame, you need to release the guilt and shame to the Lord. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets you free. So you need to let, release it back to the Lord and you need to receive the Lord's forgiveness back on you. It's both words and spiritual transactions. It's both your words and spiritual transactions. If you really want the truth, the power is more in the spiritual transaction than it is in the words. But I think we've got to say words because God can't get us to even say anything sometimes. So he tries to get us to speak first and then we exchange that way. Those are the inhibitors in your life. If you, I guarantee you, if some of you guys will just start listening to the Lord and let God point out these insignificant things to you. I want you to repent for weakness, Kevin. What? What? You know, that's what you're going to say to yourself. Are you kidding me? Weakness? Okay, well, where's the weakness, Lord? And he'll give you, you know, all right. I offer break covenants, renounce weakness, don't want any weakness. I receive new strength, new power, new day, new beginning. That's what we do. That's how it works. You try it. <laughs> you don't have to believe me. The proof's in the reality. Let me bless you. We've got to close. Sorry, guys. I'm a little over. Father, we just thank you for this day. I bless these people, Lord. Much has been said. Much has been spoken. Father, I know that your word does not return to you void, but it prospers where you send it. And so, Lord, we just partner with your sending this morning, where you're sending your word and what you're sending this word to do, both the written, the logos, and the rhema, Lord, that it return to you and prosper where you send it. And we'll honor you for it. I just declare over you, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you and be gracious to you. And may he give you peace in Jesus' name. And may you forever live in his favor. Well, we have a prophetic team today, which I completely went past. Yeah, I know my wife's going to, she's telling me you went way over. If you need a word, you need a prophetic word, we have a